Hi, this is Matt Cooley, host of the podcast Upside Downside, where we explore what it takes to be the best finance business partners possible. I'm a finance business partner myself by day and former president of the New York City chapter of Financial Executives International. Today, we welcome Mark Rancourt, supply chain professional, to talk about all the crazy supply chain issues we've we've all been facing the last year to t- two years, and how this important value driver affects us as finance business partners. Mark's experience is deep. It encompasses multiple industries in over 20 years, and I'm very grateful that he can join us today. Welcome, Mark. Hi, Matt. Thank you for having me. appreciate you, the invite. Uh, ple- pleasures, pleasures all ours. Let's jump into it, sir. From your experienced eyes as a supply chain professional, what are some of the key lessons learned over this last year and a half or so? Well, that's a good question. Uh, I guess I'd say there's like three things that come to mind quickly. Uh, first, you know, look in your own backyard, right? When I say that, I mean, your new supplier might be right under your nose. Uh, when some of the big, large manufacturing centers around the world came to a quick halt in COVID or during COVID, mm-hmm. many companies... You know, they began looking closer to home for raw materials and goods. Yeah. Uh, I myself finding local regional sources can reduce, you know, transportation time, allow you to acquire products in a more, you know, and sometimes hours versus days, right? Mm. Uh, and not only that, local and regional dis- distributions can, can and should, if, you know, they're good, uh, mm-hmm. still provide global reach and planning. So that would be like the first one is, you know, look in your backyard. Two is, uh, if it's not one thing, it's going to be another. We all learned that through COVID, right? It was always something changing. <laughs> That's for sure. You know, um, so it still is. Were, oh, yes. I mean, we can see it today. We got what? 100 uh, vessels just sitting out in the ocean, right? Um, exactly. That, that is just, that's just one little bottleneck. But as we saw, right, some companies during COVID that were successful to kind of get back up in the early stages of the pandemic, uh, they found quickly facing new obstacles like lack of transportation capacity. You know, with the e-commerce booming and a driver shortage was already underway before COVID, the capacity to turn these companies to get, you know, creative to get their products from point A to B. And you had to think of new ways. And a few suggestions of new ways were, you know, inserting pre-negotiation premium price escalators, you know, to protect yourself against the upturn in prices with the carriers. Mm-hmm. Uh, Join a shipper co-op. I did that with a few companies because we weren't large enough to get a you get a larger number of uh, companies to gain a more collective clout on behalf of your members. You know, so you get a bigger price discount if you're small. And uh, a good freight broker or freight forwarder can manage all your transportation nightmares or issues, should I say, right? Hmm. Uh, supporting customer services, you know, such as getting containers. You know, the rates for containers are jumping dramatically. Lead times are just going exponential. So that, getting a good freight forwarder will definitely help you get your product to market faster. Wow. I mean, th- th- those are really good tips and reminders in times like this, because uh, this this whole disruption has really challenged finance business partners from a, a planning perspective and forecasting, right? So we're all sort of in this together. Um, we've heard a lot about reshoring manufacturing capacity back to the U.S., but in our preparations for this episode, we discussed, you know, how tough that can be, and and it was already going on pre-pandemic. You know, what are some of those complexities of, of reshoring supply chain back back home? Well, you're right. I mean, the talk of reshoring has been going on since 2010, right? Um, yeah, it just really started getting traction, say in 2017. And uh, there's a whole, there's, you know, like you said, there's a host of difficulties when addressing 
the, the decision of whether to be sure, right? Um, and how we can look at it. And I'll take two looks at it today, right? It may be internally and externally really quickly. Uh, internally, a company must decide whether, you know, the time and money that they've spent over the last decades or whatever sourcing overseas and the interconnected supply chains that they build up to make that happen um, is possible, right? I mean, that, that's a large undertaking. It's mm -hmm. a momental task for a company to look at. It's, it's, it takes an army to make that supply chain work, right? Uh, then you have the internal, yeah. Then you have the external factors to consider, which are, you know, your marketplace in the country of production, you know, what's your presence there, mm -hmm. uh, the consideration of compliance is both within that country and the U.S., and taxation and regulatory perspectives as well, right? The nuances within the country you deal with. Uh, as a side note, you know, companies also have to weigh the pros and cons of, say, a single source strategy. Uh, as they foster that closer relationship with the supplier in question and, and build stronger partnerships, they also expose themselves, like the OEM, the risk of disruption on that critical source, right? So at the end of the day, it's a balance. Right. And I think, I think uh, lots of companies uh, took strong advantage, obviously, of single source strategies. And then, you know, it seems like that all went out the window when, you know, we couldn't keep toilet paper on the shelves and uh, chips moving and everything, you know, <laughs> pretty Correct, crazy. Right. You find uh, the weak link real fast that way. Absolutely. So, you know, all of that brings to mind a couple words we've heard a lot, resiliency and predictability. Um, how can finance business partners from your perspective, and I know you work with finance folks all the time, um, help companies wade through all of this, you know, all the data, the scenarios, the replanning, et cetera, in order to drive value creation in this kind of environment? Yeah, so you know, when speaking with other supply chain professionals on on this type of topic, and, and you know, their CFOs as well, you know, businesses look to compete in this new world. The role of the you know, finance roles are changing in the CXOs, right? Uh, they're converging. So the CFO, the CMO, the CIO, they have to start becoming business strategic business partners with the CEOs to jointly you know drive that organization forward. Um, a Absolutely. lot of the uh, a lot of the CFOs I've worked with, they've also been the champion or taken on the task of changing the organization's DNA, you know, to succeed. Mm -hmm. um, the finance professionals that I've worked with, and this isn't, you know, this is just, it's all good, you know, uh, but I find them, you know, they're, I say left-brained, right? But they're logical, analytical, and fact-based. And uh, hey, we'll we'll take that as a compliment, Mark. Okay, thank you. Good, good. <laughs> However, right <laughs> on the uh -oh, other. Oh, here side, we go. Here we go. Now, as we move into the new, as we're moving into the new generations, right? It, you just have to take that right brain and bring a little, uh, bring a little bit more of the right brain in, say, right, with you know, uh, including visualization, creativity, and imagination. But the finance executive of the future will was is you know will succeed and, and they're probably going to have these four competencies which is you know they're going to provide leadership big on building relationships they demonstrate you know commercial awareness and they take initiative and most of the cfos i've seen succeeding are doing these things mm -hmm. and, oh, and that's good where they're going you know and, and the companies are growing and yeah. they're succeeding and and you know another word that comes to mind is hustle, right? As a mm -hmm. team, we've all had to hustle in ways we probably haven't had to do so before. So, no, that that's that's a really good perspective, and I appreciate you, uh, you know, diving into the psyche of the finance business partner because I think you hit it on the head. <laughs> um, yeah. So five years from now, how different will the supply chain landscape look 
uh, from your perspective versus where we've just been? Hmm. I guess I would say, you know, emerging supply chain technology and a major source of, they're going to be a major source of competitive advantages, right? Digital remains of strategic importance for organization supply chains without being said, you know, you have to keep that IT going. Um, from what I've read and looked at, we can see, you know, potentially happening through 2023, the demand for robotic goods to person systems will increase possibly, mm -hmm. you know, probably four times. Uh, to help enforce social distancing in a warehouse following the COVID pandemic. It will, you know, you just look at the mandate, right? If that actually goes into place, you know, and you're looking at AI having to come in there because people are going to lose jobs, right? How do you reinforce that, that workforce? 50% mm -hmm. uh, of the global, you know, product-centric enterprise will have invested in transportation visibility platforms. So you're going to be looking at, you know, like an Amazon World Ship and all these platforms that we're using right now. That's huge. Gonna get, That's huge. They're going to get exponentially larger. Correct. Wow. Right. Um, I'd say it's probably just going to, you know, through 2024, probably now that 50% capacity of supply chain organizations are going to have to invest in applications to support the AI world, uh, along with advanced analyticals and capabilities. Sorry. And uh, say by 2025, you know, more than half of the supply chain organizations will have technology leader roles reporting directly to the supply chain officers I see. Hmm. Um, relying solely on, you know, IT for technology needs can slow down the digitalization of a supply chain and the way the world's going. Having a dedicated technology leader within the supply group puts the supply chain in a much better position to advance their, their digital transformation and create a more optimal technology mix. Yeah, no, that's interesting. So it, it really aligns with a lot of overall strategies and changes that we're seeing elsewhere, right? With data analytics and stuff. So this is the supply chain flavor of that. And yeah, it totally makes sense. Wow. Yeah. It's a lot of, that's a lot of change and disruption. Um, right. And, and your AI is going to just be getting larger and larger. Right, right. Also, also a great opportunity <laughs> for, the, for those of us that need to, uh, you know, augment our skills. I mean, times of change are, are great, great times for career opportunities. So that's wonderful. So I'd like to ask my guests, what can finance business partners do now to brush up on their knowledge of supply chain issues and, and prepare for the future that's coming? You know, whether it's five years or 10 years from now, we do have early career folks that, that listen to this podcast as well. What, what are the most important things that we can do to prepare for this? Um, some of the simple things is just, you know, reading like supply chain periodicals, uh, Association for Supply Chain Management, ASCM, which I, you know, I'm a member of publishes a monthly magazine. There's mm -hmm. a lot of good data in there as far as where the supply chain is going and, and what's happening in it. Um, try and touch basically a supply chain manager as often as you can. And, and if you can even get, you know, go down to the lower level to those built to those buyers. Um, you'd be surprised how much information the buyers can have with what's happening in the marketplace because they're actually touching your vendors and, and on a daily basis and, and finding out, hey, this, this raw material just went from two weeks to seven weeks, right? I went from 21 weeks to 32 weeks on a piece of equipment. So they know that they know why, and they're their best, you know, stop gap on those critical parts. Mm -hmm. So, you know, don't be afraid to get down there and talk to them and, and, uh, and realize that, you know, those lower level employees actually have quite a vital uh, role in, in that supply chain 
taking place and, and stopping the late of shipment of your product. Yeah, that's excellent. And they, they are on the front line. So they're going to be the first to know before folks sitting in the C-suite. Yeah. Oh, that's excellent. Okay. Wow. This is, um, this is really cool. And I really appreciate, Mark, you sharing your insights with us today. Oh, thank you very much. You know, like I said, I, I appreciate you having me on here. And uh, hopefully I was of some help to the, to the CFO world. Absolutely. And to the subscribers of Upside Downside, thank you for listening today.